0: So those are the six ways, passive income, equity capture, forced depreciation, market appreciation, tax benefits, and mortgage buy-down. Hello, and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating
1: financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello, welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dyksemer. With me, excited to have Dustin Heiner. Dustin, how are you doing today?
0: I am fantastic, Todd. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. And I just love sharing with people, not necessarily about real estate and like how amazing it is, which it is amazing, but literally what it affords <laughs> me to do in my life. So I'm, I really appreciate having me on the show.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm excited to have you on and learn more about kind of your journey and be able to add a lot of value to our listeners. So a little bit about Dustin. Uh, He's the founder of Master Passive Income and Successfully Unemployed. He's a real estate rental property investor who was able to make enough passive income from his business to quit his job when he was 37. Uh, With his podcast, books, courses, and coaching, he now helps other people quit their job by investing in real estate rental properties and to be able to live their dream life. So with that said, Dustin, why don't you give our listeners a bit more about your background, your story, and, and then we'll dive in.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Todd. So I'll, I'll jump to the very end or close to the end, and then I'll quickly go back. So I quit my job when I was 37 years old. And as I was buying property after property, I was able to quit. I realized, man, I had enough money. But let me re- let me quickly jump back and I'll tell you a quick story about what really catapulted me into becoming a real estate investor. Now, growing up, I've always been entrepreneurial. And I had a paper route when I was 13 years old, you know, riding a bike with newspapers and throwing them and banging them on garage doors at 5 a.m. Um, I had a graphic website design company I, when i not going through college. Then I had a skateboard manufacturing business, started a convenience store at a pizzeria. And so I've always been entre, uh, entrepreneurial, always wanted to start businesses. But at the same time, I was always taught, and we're all taught this, we need to go to school, good good grades. Then go to college, get in thousands and thousands of dollars in debt, get good grades, get a degree, and then get a job. And then you get a career, hopefully you get a career. And then you work there for, you know, 40 years and retire when you're 65, 70 years old and hopefully live on the rest of the money that you saved up on. And I was just doing that because that's what I was taught. But at the same time, having businesses, then I bought one rental property and the one rental property made me like $300 that one month. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. I didn't want to get more, but I kind of put everything on hold because I was still going that career path. So I was always taught go to career path. And I was doing it, but also trying to do other things. But I'll tell you the quick story that really just shoved me into being an investor. So I was working a regular day job, you know, nine to five job. I was working for the county government, one of the counties in California, doing IT, just sit down desk, doing just technology work. And over time, my wife and I started having kids. And after my wife had our fourth child, if if you watch this in the video, you can see my kids in the background. After my wife had our fourth child, I went on paternity leave. That's where the dad stays home with the mommy. The brand new baby changes yeah. poopy diapers and bonds with the baby and all that sort of stuff. And so I'm off for about a week or two. And then I go back to work and that week I get back to work. I get a call on a Friday at three thirty in the afternoon from my boss's, boss's, boss's secretary, like the top dog, his secretary calls me and says, Dustin, would you please come to the office? And I said, sure. And I, then I hung up the phone and I paused for a second and I thought, why would they be calling me into the office like this isn't normal this is rather weird in fact i haven't been back long enough to do anything wrong or right this is just kind of weird and then as i sat there i started thinking and remembering a couple months before i went on paternity leave there was some rumors or some rumblings going on that there could potentially be layoffs in the county or the department because they were running low on funds and i immediately shook that off i'm like no i work for the government nobody gets fired or laid off for the government i also have so much sin you already been here i don't know 10 12 years I do a great job. I get raises all the time, good reviews. I immediately shook that off. So I get up and walk down the hallway to my boss's office. Now, Todd, this hallway wasn't very long. In fact, it was rather short, but every step that I took, it felt like the hallway got longer and longer and longer. And it felt like my feet were turning into lead bricks. Like I could barely walk. My feet were so heavy because it started really grabbing me that I could potentially be laid off right now And the weight of everything from my family to my kids was weighing on my shoulders. And as I was walking through the hallway, all these thoughts came through my head. And then I get to the end of the hallway and I turn and I see my boss's door. His his door is closed and I see his secretary there. And his secretary says, Dustin, would you please have a seat? And sheepishly, she's grinning at me, kind of consulting me with her eyes because she knows everything about what's going on. I know nothing about what's going on. So I say, sure. And I go and grab a seat. And as I'm sitting there waiting, it starts to really hit me that this could be the time that I actually lose my job. And as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking about my four kids. And then if I lose my job, what does that make me as a father? Am I a failure as a father, not being able to provide for my family, Am I a failure as a husband, not being able to take care of everything, not be able to take care of my kids, put a roof over our heads. And then all those years, Working, you are going to school, debt and everything, getting to college, then working all these years at a, basically a job. Now, if that's taken away from me, is that all a waste of my life? Yeah. Well, all of these things are going through my head and my hands get all clammy. My forehead gets all sweaty and the door to my boss's office opens up. Out walks a lady, a coworker of mine with a piece of paper in her hands. And she's noticeably distraught. She's noticeably upset, not necessarily crying, but you can tell Her world has totally been rocked. And as she passes by me, my boss says, Dustin, would you please come into the office? Well, I go into the office and I get laid off. Remember, this is the government. Nobody gets fired or laid off for the government, but I did. So I take that layoff notice and I walk back to my desk and I sit down there and I am sitting there realizing Two things right then and there, Todd. So, everybody else, you need to realize this too, because it hit me so much that I had to realize two things. Number one, I needed to get another job. I didn't get another job to be able to provide for my family. So, I'm, I was really blessed, praise the Lord, to be able to find another job in the same county, totally different department, sheriff's department, worked out great there, worked there for another few years. And so, check, got that taken care of. The second thing that I realized, and this is what hopefully your listeners will also get a sense of. I needed to make sure that this never ever happened to me again, that nobody else had the ability to take away my ability to provide for my family. And so I realized right then and there that my value is not my job. Because when, when anybody would ever ask me the question, Dustin, what do you do? I would basically say, oh, I do IT work for the county. Basically projecting my value as my job to other people. So when anybody asks you that question, They're asking that same question. What's that value that you put on yourself? And so what I realized was my value doesn't come from my job. Your value doesn't come from your job. My value comes from my God, from my family and from myself. And I realized from that point forward, I said, I am now an investor because I knew I needed to do that. I just didn't get shoved into that. This was the catapulting issue or a thought that got me into that. Now it may so happen that 100% of my money still comes from my job. That's my part-time job. I am a full-time investor. Now, fast forward now, I bought property after property after property. Then I had 30 plus properties. Six years later, I was like, my goodness, even though I'm making $75,000 a year here working this job, I am working for and and actually losing money because I love the term for a job. It's an acronym, J-O-B. You're living just over broke and if you realize that your boss is only paying you so much money to keep you working without quitting but not so much money that takes money out of your pocket so if you round that all to say your value is so much more than anybody could ever pay you so i'll round out the story to share with that If you remember that short hallway that i walked to go get laid off well i went to my new boss a great boss and everything if i said boss i'm laying you off like kind of jokingly but i said here's my two weeks notice and he said, Dustin, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm not going to do anything. I have real estate. I literally don't need to work 30 plus properties. I don't need to work. Now, the last part of the story is I walked to my car. I worked in downtown. And so I, worked, I walked a mile and a half to my car. I did it a thousand times, but if transposed that, or I think about that short walk where I felt like my feet were lead bricks, this new, this last walk, I felt like I was walking on clouds because I knew I would never Ever need a job again? Because I changed my perspective. My value is now in who I want everybody to know me as, an investor. Now I will never need a job again. So I'll I'll pause that story and share. You probably got questions, but that's how. What that's really what catapulted me into become a real estate investor.
1: Yeah, that's that's awesome. I love it. I was never given the privilege of being laid Mm -hmm. off, but uh, I did quit fairly quickly after realizing the same thing. Like I I worked for the school district. um, Similar deal. And just like uh, realized fairly quickly that you're kind of at their mercy you're getting paid what what you know you're getting paid very little especially as i was a teacher i mean you get paid paid very little (laughs) for what you do nothing it's ridiculous um so yeah i realized it fairly early on but so what kind of properties were you purchasing it it, was it single families you said it's rental properties single families duplexes what kind of properties
0: Yeah. Think of residential. So residential Mm -hmm. from IRS and bank standpoint, four units and below. Mm -hmm. So I like single family homes, duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes, multifamily, a whole different ball of wax, which is really great stuff. It's just that it's harder to get into. So I started with single family homes and duplexes and triplexes and worked my way up. Then after, like I said, 30 plus properties, I was 37 years old. I had enough. And here's, here's how I worked it out too. Because of rental property, I realized I want to go for profit. I want to make sure that I'm making $250 or more in passive income. Cause I want to replace my income, cover my expenses from my properties. So I easily knew, okay, if I make $250 at the minimum from every single property, if I just multiply that out one property at $250 a month, that's $3,000 a year. If your boss came to you and said, Hey, can we give you a $3,000 raise? You'd be like, sure, let's do yeah, it. Yeah. Well, this I literally don't work and I get a $3,000 a year raise, but here's the thing, multiply it out. 10 properties is $2,500 a month. That's $30,000 a year in passive income. 20 properties is $5,000 a month, $60,000 a year without working. Remember, this is passive income. Rents minus expenses is your income. That's what I had and I just realized if I just put everything towards the next property, then next to the next property on towards the next property, eventually I have enough properties that all of my income will be replaced and cover all my expenses and then some. So yes, residential single family homes are fantastic.
1: Are you using third-party management or are you guys managing them in-house?
0: Absolutely love having other people, man. I don't want to do anything. Well, Here's the thing. I realized that, remember I always said, or I said, I'm always entrepreneurial. I've been an entrepreneurial person. So I approached the idea of investing as a business. And then I started realizing, that a lot of people that were teaching or coaching this, this was back in 2006, and this was before the market crashed in 2009. And if you realize what happens when you're renting for, you're not trying to get appreciation, you're trying to get passive income and utilizing property managers as well, because I don't wanna do the work. If the market goes up, if the market goes down, if the market goes sideways, I still make money. So from 2006 to now, I still own those properties. And you can see the kids in my in the video, those are my kids back there. Those are the ones I'll literally give these properties to now, but at the same time, I didn't want to manage them myself. Cause at the time I had a job I had, I, I needed to make sure that all my time was to my family, to a business I was trying to create and I wanted to pay other people. So this is what I did in to answer your question about the property management, I said, you know what, if I approach this as a business, it's actually going to be even better. So what I did was I realized my property is not my business. Now, let me give you an example of what it means to have a property as a business and a business not being that. So when I say build the business first, we find our property managers. Those are our number one people. I don't want to call tenants. I don't want to talk to them. In fact, I've actually been taken advantage of so many times because I've done that. Then I figured out I need to hire somebody to actually run the business who is good at it. Who Because I invest all over the country. I invest in Ohio, Texas, and Arizona. and my students invest all over the country. Now with that, I don't want to fly over there. I don't want to be talking on the phone at, you know, like let's say five in the morning because it's eight o'clock in, in the East coast. I don't want to do that. So I hire other people and the property managers are by far your number one people in your business.
1: Yeah. You know, it's a lot of people want to manage their own properties. They think this is the best way to go. Cause you, well, you'll take care of your property better than anybody else. For me, I find that that can't be further from the truth. I will do a bad job because I, I'm not, I don't like it. I, I don't, I mean, that's not my skill set. So I'm going to do a poor job managing my own property and my properties are going to be in worse condition. If I hire a professional that actually that's what they do and they're good at it, they're going to do a much better job than me uh, at managing my own property. Uh, so it's, it's funny. I hear it from a lot of people like, Oh, you can't hire somebody because they're just not going to care about your property like you do.
0: Well, see, those are people that I like to call naysayers. They're they're naysayers. And I get naysayers throughout all types of aspects of the business. They even Naysayers would say, don't even buy a property. Don't even invest because you're going to get those 2 a.m. phone calls. They're going to trash your properties. They're basically projecting onto you their limitations, which is sad. You don't take that. What you need to do is realize the number one, it is possible. Number two, other people have done it. And number three, I can do it. So let me give you a broad perspective of what I like to do when I'm building a business. So in the, other, I, I don't know, like at least three different states, um, at least like seven different cities that I invest in. Um, so yeah, six, seven, I can't remember how many, but anyways, what I do everywhere I go, I build the business. Let me give you an example of what building the business sounds like, or it looks like. So if you're gonna start a convenience store, you know, a convenience store, you know, candy bars and soda fountains and stuff like that. Well, you're not going to sign a lease for a location, open the doors and put a box of candy bars in there. If you did that, you would actually lose money. You'd go out of business in two seconds. Know what you would do instead is you would build the business first. You'd get the gondolas, so those are the shelving units. So you put all the candy bars on, you get the countertops, the fountain machines, the cold storage, bank accounts, cash registers, insurance, employees. You'll get everything in the business before you buy any properties. Then- once you do that, then you buy the inventory. Same thing with your business for the properties. You build the entire business. You find the real, uh, realtors, the property managers, inspectors, home, home ins- uh, uh, insurance agents. You have plumbers, roofers, all these other people in the business before you buy any properties. And then you view your property as your inventory. So you build the entire business and then you buy that inventory and then put it into your business. That's how I was able to scale my business so well is because I had so many people doing the work for me. And here's the great thing, Todd, you understand this. I don't pay my taxes on my properties. I don't pay my mortgage. I don't pay my insurance. I don't even pay my property managers. My tenants pay for every bit of that. Now it so happens the money goes through me and goes out and pays that stuff, but I don't have to get a job to hire a property manager. A lot of people that do this wrong, and it's sad to say this, it's good for me, it's sad for them, I love buying properties off people who don't know how to do this right. They manage it themselves or poorly manage it themselves. They don't know how to buy it right. They don't know how to do everything right. And then they're so fed up after years of having a horrible time. They said, Dustin, just take the property from me. Like, great, I'll go ahead and buy it from them. But what you do instead is you do everything to build the entire business first so that as you're gonna be getting that inventory, putting it into your business, you can scale it. And then your property manager is paid for by your tenants. Cause that's a lot of people, a lot of people come to me and say, well, Destin, I can't afford a property manager. Well, you should have bought the property a lot cheaper than you bought it for. So long story short, add everything up, building the business first has made me. So I literally don't work. In fact, people know the book four hour work week. I think working four, hour a week, uh, four hours a week is for suckers. I don't even work 30 minutes a week, maybe 30 minutes a month is my, just by getting the statements from my property managers, looking at them, make sure everything's good. And then putting it aside. That's what I do. And so that's why I love to share with everybody else. I'm excited to tell you that the North Star Real Estate Conference is going to be this May 2nd and 3rd in the Twin Cities. We're going to have amazing speakers there who will add great value to you. But the real value is in the networking where you can meet potential partners, learn about deals and make some real money. Our three pillars are connect, learn and succeed because that's what you're going to do. So sign up today at NorthStarUnlimited.live and use coupon code EARLYBIRD for $100 off your ticket. What do
1: you do with all your free time then?
0: I actually, what's fun now, is I go to the gym, hang out with the family. My wife homeschools. I have the easy job of making money. She has the hard job of homeschooling the kids. But then I get on podcasts, you know, get to talk to great people like you, Todd, and get in front of other audiences, just share, man, this is just possible. This is literally possible. And I just, like a next door neighbor, I was like, I just want to tell as many people as possible. like This is possible. So with my free time now, it's literally just getting on podcasts, creating YouTube videos, just literally giving away all this stuff of how to invest in real estate.
1: Nice. Love it. What, what's a mistake that you've made and, and how have you learned from it?
0: That is, that leads right back to the fantastic question. And not a lot of people say, that's a good question, but this is a great question. It leads right back to the property manager because the property manager is your quarterback. And think of a football team, the person on the team, the, 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 the one that makes you score, the one that keeps you on the field, getting off and like doing well is your quarterback. And so your property manager is your quarterback. They're the ones that is going to make sure that you're making money, make sure that you're saving money, make sure that your property is taken care of. They're basically managing the entire property for you, let alone all the properties that you have with them. And so what I did wrong, when this is the wrong way to do it, I, back in California 2006, I lived in California in 2006, I flew out to Ohio, found a property manager, found a realtor, and then put them together and bought a a rental property. Basically, they both had pulses. I said, let's just do it because I had no clue what I was doing. And that property manager started stealing from me within six months. It was horrible. Now, if I would have listened to the naysayers, if I wouldn't have been persevered uh, persevered and pushed through it, I would have just given up and I wouldn't be where I'm at today. No, what I did do though, it was I learned that I need to hire slow, but fire fast. Now, anybody, can say they're a property manager, most likely even realtors And sometimes you might have to have a license to have, to be a property manager, like a realtor's license to be a property manager. Yep. But there are so many realtors that just say, okay, it's slow right now in this season. I can't sell any houses or buy have any buyers buy any houses. Let me just put on a realtor hat and manage properties. They are not the best in my opinion. So here's what I do. I learned from my mistake. I hired the wrong property manager. I hire slow and I fire fast. What that means is I literally call up six to 10 different property managers in whatever city that I'm going to be investing in. And I interview them. And I, I, I have a list of 22 questions that I give to all my students and the answers to all the questions, what they want from their property managers, these questions answered. And so we go through and we interview them multiple times. We don't want to just pick somebody, oh, your property manager, let's put you in there. What's going to be bad is if you find the right property manager, sorry, if you're going to find the wrong property manager, they're going to ruin your life. They're going to be pulling your hair out. Now here's another thing. Here's, I'll quickly add one more uh, uh, side note to what you just asked, which means what is the number one thing? Number one thing is finding the right property manager. The number two thing is not finding a property manager. Now what other people are going to try to teach you is you find a property and then you run the numbers. Then you run the numbers, make sure you're going to make a little money in passive income. Then you find somebody to fix up the property. Then you find a tenant to put in there. Then you find a manager to manage the property. What's in my opinion, backwards, what's going to be horrible is if you find a house, you do exactly everything they tell you. It looks like it's going to run the numbers and make money for you, but you cannot find a property manager, be it that there's no good property managers in the area. You can't find the right ones. The ones can't be whatever the process might be, it might be a horrible area that nobody wants to manage. Then you have not an asset anymore, a liability draining money out of you, making you pull your hair out. So two things, it was not getting the right property manager. And the other thing is not getting a property manager. So learn from my mistakes on both of those.
1: Yeah. And I like how you said you got to get that property manager first or or very early on in the game. Uh, It's so important in my opinion. and, And, you know, I, we're buying multifamily properties and larger multifamily properties. Our property manager is a big part of our due diligence. They're, big, oh, they're yeah. a big, huge part of our success. There's so many times we'll send a property over to a property manager that we're underwriting and they'll go, yep, walk away. Uh, we know this property too too well. And it's the same thing with single <laughs> family. I mean, it, look, if you got a good property manager, they're going to go, hey, look, that's not a, the area you want to be in. I know what you're looking for. That's not it. Or look, that, that property is a problem property. You're just going to, it's just going to be a struggle. We, Hey, we walked through that property during your inspection period. And that was a disaster. Like you have Mm -hmm. to walk away, you know? So there's there's just so much value they can add during the process, putting, trying to plug them in towards the end. uh,
0: That's just,
1: that's so backwards.
0: So yeah. And and Uh, wouldn't you want to get an expert that's literally In the area, see where where I live, I don't necessarily invest where I live. I love investing all over the country and my students invest literally all over the country. And so I'll give you an example. I do one-on-one coaching and let's say a student says, hey, Dustin, what do you think about this property? Like, I don't know. Even though let's say I actually invest in that city, right? Because I invest in a lot of cities. They say, well, Dustin, you invest here. Aren't you the expert? I'm like, no, I'm not the expert. I hire experts who are literally there on the ground. I don't want to fly there. I don't want to go there. I don't want to do any of that stuff. But I hire the experts because yeah. they're the ones that are going to make sure that we're finding the right properties. We're getting the right tenants. In fact, here's an example of what a good property manager would do if you have an expert. Let's say you're looking at a property that you want to buy. Multifamily or even just single family, whatever it might be. You say, property manager, how much can I rent this property for? Now, if you go to Zillow, pausing that idea, if you go to Zillow, Zillow's going to give you an estimate of what they think it is. It's always way too high in my opinion, but Zillow's not an expert. Realtor.com, Redfin, Trulia, those are not experts. Who is an expert? It's literally the person that says, your property manager, hey, property manager, what about this property? How much can I rent it for? Oh, I know that property. In fact, I have a property right around the corner, same exact house, We tried to get 1200 for it. We couldn't, we could only get a thousand dollars. Zillow will tell you 1200, but we could not get it. If it's the same type of property, which is, you know, decent property, more than likely, you're not going to get over a thousand dollars. Well, shoot. If you would have ran your numbers at $1,200 and then bought it, you might be losing money because you could only rent it for a thousand. So it's the experts that we need to hire.
1: Yeah. Love it. Love it.
0: That's good stuff.
1: Let's talk the business structure and and you're talking about not really having to do a ton of work in your business. And and I know you've, you've given us some nuggets already. Any other big things that our listeners can take, maybe success habits that you have that you've found to be really, you know, key to to how you do business?
0: Absolutely. So there's so many thoughts running through my head. What I will I'll start a little from the beginning. It's not going to take long, but I'll start from the beginning and kind of work way through it. So the first thing that I do, we number one, we invest all over the country. We find good deals. Number one, we don't just buy any deal. Like you know, back in two thousand uh, was it ten? If you bought in Detroit, like you would literally be, it would just be horrible. It's, it's it was the militarized zone almost. Now it's up, up and coming, which is good. But here's my perspective. What I do is I approach this as a business. Now, if I'm going to start any business, I'm going to make sure that I have inventory, and buyers. Basically, I'm looking for this business, real estate business, that there's properties I can buy and Mm -hmm. renters. So I'm not gonna go to some small town that literally has one property and maybe two renters and hope to run a business. Because remember, I want this to scale. I wanna get to 20, 30, 40, 50 properties so I don't have to work. It's a lot of work to build the business first. So what I do is I first look for inventory. So I'll look for entire cities, or sorry, states, and then drill down to cities to see, is there inventory, the types of homes I wanna buy at the right, right price point? Are they gonna rent for the amount? And make sure that there's gonna be inventory. From there, I pause the idea of the inventory and looking at it, properties, because a lot of my students, this is literally what they do. Hey, Dustin, I found this city, There's a lot of inventory. I've already got eight realtors looking for properties for me. I'm like, stop, 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 don't do that. Have you found a property manager yet? No, like don't find properties right now. We have to yeah. do so much work Before we get to finding properties, the properties will be there. Don't worry about it. So what we do is we find inventory nail down. This is a city pausing the idea of looking at properties. Now we start building the business. We start finding the property manager first from the property manager. Then we look up, we want to get mortgages. We can't buy a property unless we have mortgages or money, you know, financing. Super important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then from there looking for what covering your idea for expenses taxes, making sure you can account for those, get insurance brokers so you can account for those insurance, things like that. So we want to start in the process, making sure we have a business, number one, that has inventory, number two, then start building the business, number three. And then number four, once you have the hired, the right people, selected the right people, that's when we can start finding inventory. Now, yeah. here's one also uh, key that I wanted, that's another thought that was flying through my head that I really need to share, especially in this market right now this market right now is definitely a seller's market. Prices are really high. Interest rates are low. People are buying. It's definitely a seller's market. What's going to happen is you're going to get discouraged because you're going to be putting in offers and they're probably going to get taken. In fact, us as investors, we buy the houses lower. Let's say it's worth a hundred thousand dollars. And yes, there are properties that are worth a hundred thousand dollars, even lower than that. Um, But if it's a hundred thousand dollars, it's worth, I'm going to put an offer for, try to get it for like 80, 85,000. I'm going to try to capture equity, which is one of the six ways that we make money investing in real estate. Passive income is another, but what we do is we put in offers that are lower. Now, the sad thing is we're going to have to go through a lot of offers before we actually get one. And here's another reason why we put offers lower, not just to capture equity in order to get our passive income high enough. Remember $250 a month minimum is what we want. We have to get the price lower in order for our mortgage to be lower, our payments to be lower and all that sort of stuff so that we have the passive income. What's going to happen though, is you're going to get a little discouraged right now. Now, when it's a buyer's market, totally different. You're going to have like, you're not gonna have enough money to buy a minute. You can't keep up. Exactly. Man, in 2010, I wish I had more money. I would've bought so many more properties. I'm looking forward to the next one, but all that to say, I want to get back to the the idea. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up, but here's the thing. You need to put in more offers now. More offers that you get a no to. Basically, if somebody says no, you're that much closer to the next yes. So I have students who say, you know what? I know I need to get a property in the next two weeks. Like, I really want to get a property in two weeks. What they, that could be, you know, timeline, give or take. But what they do is they start putting in offers and they try to shoot for 10 a week, 10 offers a week, not through the same realtor. It could be through this. uh, They found a property through a seller's realtor, through a wholesaler, through another investor, through through many different ways, but they're always putting in offers. Eventually you're going to get one. And just imagine if you had 10 fishing poles in one pond, more likely you're going to get one fish. So you just got to keep putting in offers. That's one of the biggest things that you really need outside of building the business. Keep putting in offers. Yeah. Love it.
1: Yeah. It's uh, it's easy to get discouraged in this market right now. Prices are high. doesn't matter what asset class you're in prices are high and it feels like there's no deals. Um, but, the people that are doing deals are the people that have those fishing poles out there and they're, they're, they're catching fish. Now it takes them a while. It takes them a lot of offers. It takes a lot of hard work, but they're, they're getting deals if they put the
0: effort into it. You mentioned. They six sure always, Let me let, let me add one quick thing yeah. too. It's really interesting. As of, I've coached hundreds of students now getting that first property is always the hardest for every mm-hmm. single person. Yeah. But what's crazy is the second property comes so much faster. Imagine if it takes six months to get that first property. Most of my students, at most six months, usually, and they may, may be a little longer than that, but we try to shoot for six months. That's after building the business, doing everything right, You know, literally doing everything right. The next property comes within a month, maybe two months at most. It just comes so much faster yeah. because number one, you've got that first property. You've got the butterflies out, you got the nerves out, you've got the business built, you know what you're looking for, that second property comes so much faster.
1: Yeah, yeah, I could, couldn't agree more. Um, you mentioned six ways to make money in real estate. What are those six ways? You've, you've mentioned two of them.
0: Yeah, so passive income, my favorite one. That's how I feed my family, put a roof over our heads and yep. everything like that. So passive income, fantastic. $250 or more, remember, just remember that, lock that in your brain. Don't go in a, below that. At least that's what I, I don't chew for. I um, anything under that. So passive income. Next one is equity capture love equity capture. Basically it's worth a certain dollar amount. Let's say a hundred thousand. We buy it for less, let's say $85,000 we capture, or we basically make $15,000 in equity from that property. Awesome way to make money. Another way is forced appreciation. We try to find a property that needs a little bit of work, maybe a lot of work. We make sure it has work in there so that we fix it up. Let's say we spend $10,000 doing, you know, painting, flooring, all that sort of stuff. And it'll um, appraise for more, let's say $25,000 more than what it was, $10,000 appraises for 25,000. That difference is another $15,000 in a forced appreciation. Another one is market appreciation. We know just over time, the markets go up. In fact, Phoenix alone, where I live, in the last year, it's been 20% appreciation. It's just nuts right now, but that's another one. Another one I love is tax benefits. Now, if you're not making that much money, it doesn't really grab you, but when you start making money, the tax benefits are, are, is totally amazing. The depreciation alone is so brilliant. I love depreciation. Yeah. It's a whole big another talk, but just realize the tax benefits are amazing. The last one is another, it's almost as great as passive income, is mortgage buy down. Basically, if you buy a house, your tenants then pay off the rest of the house and the interest. And let me give you an example of how this could play out. Now, let's say you bought a house with an FHA loan. FHA loans is a federal housing administration loan, three and a half percent down. Not that much. Let's say you bought a house for a hundred thousand dollars. I'm just using round numbers. A hundred thousand dollars, that's $3,500 down payment. More than likely you could save that up. Then you move into the house because the requirement for FHA loan is to be in there for a year. You're in there for a year for $3,500 and then you have your mortgage payment. You got to be paying. Then you move out, refinance it, pull that money out. Basically, that, that, uh, I'll pause that. You don't want to go there, but go back to you move out and then you put a tenant inside of that property. Now you still owe $96,500 and interest and taxes and insurance. Your tenant then pays the rest of that $96,500 and all the interest on top of that. And you put $250 in your pocket. So those are the six ways, passive income, equity capture, forced depreciation, market appreciation, tax benefits, and mortgage buy down. It's absolutely brilliant.
1: Yeah. And of course, if you do it right, you're getting advantage from all of those things. Um, But even if you do it wrong, you likely, hopefully, at least unless you do it really, really wrong, you can capture (laughs) at least a few of them. Um, you know, the principal pay down is such a beautiful thing. Even as long as you're breaking even, which of course that's never the goal, but as long as you're breaking even, the resident is paying the mortgage down. So worst case is you're creating income by that mortgage payment going down. And in five, 10, 15 years, now you've got some equity sitting there.
0: Let me give you a uh, give your audience. I know you know this, Todd. I'll give the audience um, a little perspective. But I, I was I quickly touched on it for two seconds, but I jumped off it. But I'll get right back into it real quick. So, when you get equity in that property, let's say you could do equity capture, you force appreciation and after time, you pay down the mortgage. That's equity sitting in your house. If a lot of people might say, Well, I have got a hundred thousand dollars in equity. What if I sell this house? That'll be a thousand dollars, man. That'd be great. Yep. Like, well, if you sell it, then. You don't have that income coming in from that property, number one, right. and then you've literally just that's that's it. You're done with that property. You now it's great, but you have to pay taxes on it if it's an investment property. Why not instead do this? I love this. Why not instead do a cash out refinance of the property, and it's a tax free loan. Iris doesn't tax loans, so you're loaning against the property. You're pulling that cash out tax free. Then you're buying a new property with that money. Let's say it's a down payment or whatever to buy a new property. Then you have two properties. Eventually those will all be paid down. Then you use that refinance, pull that out, do it again. That's literally, I just recycled that same money from the very beginning. That first property recycled it over and over and over to buy more and more properties.
1: Yeah. that That's a beautiful way to do it. Buying with a little bit. And that's the value with, with you know, number two and number three, where you said you've got the equity capture, you're buying it for a little bit under market value. And then you've got some forced appreciation where you can do some improvements. You can make the property worth more than what it was before. And now very quickly, you can refinance that pull money out as long as you're still making number one, that passive income that you mentioned of 250 or more a month on a single family house. So love it. Uh, excellent stuff. So got a couple last questions before we completely wrap up here. Dustin, what's a favorite book uh, that you can give to our listeners?
0: So I'll definitely lead off with the first one. I'll, I'll g- can I give you two? Would that be okay? Yeah, that's fine. Awesome. First one, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That's really what got me started. Remember, i said from the very beginning, I was always taught, you know, go to school, then then literally just retire when you're yeah. 65 years old. That whole the whole plan. It's horrible. Rich Dad, Poor Dad snapped me out of that and realized, oh, there's a different way. So that's yeah. one. The second one, is Richest Man in Babylon written by George S. S. Clausen? Fantastic book, fictional book, but teaches principles on finances and, and just money. Amazing book. So put those two together. It just blew my mind. I said, let's there's, there's a better way out there.
1: Love it. Love it. Um, All right. So last question before we wrap up, what are your three pillars of wealth creation?
0: I love rental properties. Number one, that's by far. Now, people talk about streams of income, you know, basically different ways that money comes into your your uh, your life and yourself. I love having a river of income plus little streams. So my river is real estate. 100%, that's where I make all of my money. In fact, any money that I make goes right back into that river to buy more properties to make more money in that river. But I do have other streams. So, number one, the five, the three pillars, number one is investments or rental properties. 100%. Number two, I love businesses. Now that I have more time, imagine having 40 plus more hours of your life, not devoted to somebody else making them money, but devoted to you. Mm -hmm. You make businesses. So now I literally have like five or six businesses. In fact, I just created a new business. It's actually a real estate investor conference called Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference, RubeCon for short. And with that conference, it's literally a community. I'm trying to build a community of people. With that, I'm hopefully creating another business. So investments number one, business number two, the last one is literally passive income. So writing books, having my YouTube channel, you know, teaching for uh, master passive income, teaching real estate to my podcast, all that sort of stuff and coaching, like all that is another way of making money. So that, th- it's just, once you realize it's, there's so many more ways to make money than working a dead end J-O-B, you're going to be so much better off.
1: Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Awesome stuff. Well, Dustin, really appreciate you joining us on the show. Tons of great value, tons of great, um, you know, insight into what you do and and how it works, why it works. Uh, how can our listeners get in touch with you, and learn more about what you got going on?
0: Yeah. So actually, I have a real estate investing course I can give them for free. Would you mind if I share that out?
1: Absolutely. Let's do it.
0: Awesome. So if I I almost want to show you how to do this, I'll literally give it to you my real estate investing course for free. If you text the word rental. R-E-N-T-A-L, rental to 33777, 33777. I'll literally give it to you. Or you can go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course. That's all one word, forward slash free course. Get it there. But I'll show you how to to find an area of the country to invest, how to build the business, how to make sure you're scaling the business, doing everything right, literally show you all that. Plus, I have my podcast, the Master Passive Income podcast, where it's literally just me. I don't really do interviews. It's just me teaching how to do this, my YouTube channel, masterpassiveincome.com. But any of those ways, you can definitely reach me on there.
1: That's awesome. Dustin, again, really appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. And uh, you have a fantastic rest of the day.
0: Thanks, Todd. I appreciate
1: you.